Welcome to episode eight of Highway to Well. We're here talking with Marissa Kalkman, who's the executive director of the Wellness Council of Wisconsin. Today, we're gonna to talk about wellness through the life cycle, mental health, employee well-being, and changing the landscape of how organizations support people creatively, holistically, and systematically. But we're also gonna talk a lot about CrossFit and our own adventures in our own health and well-being. Thank you for listening. We're ready to get on the highway to well. Good afternoon here, Marissa. Thank you for joining me on Highway to Well, Episode 9. Glad to have you. Good afternoon. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Yeah. Marissa Kalkman is the Executive Director at the Wellness Council of Wisconsin. And the Wellness Council of Wisconsin is a nonprofit organization in Wisconsin that's dedicated to helping employers design results-oriented wellness programs and strategies to maximize health and productivity. But as we've discovered, as we're talking about our, our uh, deep dive into wellness and wellness programming, we have a shared interest in CrossFit and distance running, which some people might see as, um, as, as uh, mentally challenging um, activities that test our boundaries and make us oddballs, but um, both of them have benefited us both greatly. So. Marissa, explain to me, how did you go from being a distance runner to diving into the world of CrossFit? Oh, how did I do it? So, so I have, running has been a part of my life since uh, adolescence, for sure. I mean, I was an athlete in middle school and high school and a variety of different sports. And running was always something I did as, you know, an added way to stay fit and, and, and just become the best athlete I can be um, in my other sports. And then when I hit college, it was, uh, you know, my other sports were, were no longer there. I was not a collegiate level athlete by any means. And so running became kind of my go-to, you know, personal sport. And I certainly sounds like you and I share maybe, I mean, it'll be interesting to kind of see what, what, what we share in like personality traits. It sounds like we might have a little bit of a, um, you know, just a, I'm a super competitive person and then just like to have something that I can create my own goals around. So not necessarily even competing with others, just something where I feel like I'm able to kind of personally, um, you know, have personal bests and personal records and, and do better or longer or, you know, different than than I've done before and running was definitely something that I was able to do and as a college student um into 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 graduate school as well you know you're you're looking for those little pieces of time that you can uh you can spend on yourself and you can fit in exercise or whatever sort of fitness that you like to do and running was a was a easy way to do that you could pretty much run at any time (laughs) so I really got into it I really got into it at that point 
And that's when it was um, graduate school, and then shortly after, where I where I really started to focus on marathon, like more you know longer distance running. And again, it was something that I was able to focus on, set goals for myself on, and then feel really good about accomplishing. Even though you know maybe I wasn't winning the marathon by any means, I was still able to really you know drive focus into into that and um I found CrossFit in 2010 actually I should say I found it earlier than that I found it um I want to say it was right in between 2008 and 2009 and I was in graduate school at the time and I was a graduate assistant in fitness and wellness at my university and one of my coworkers had heard about CrossFit and he started to do it in our in our university gym, you know, in our strength and conditioning area. And I say do it like air quoted, <laughs> um, you know, with it with whatever equipment we had around. And this is like early phase of CrossFit too. So it's still pretty underground at that point, and still pretty, you know, it's just growing into, um, you know, very early stages of what it what it actually mm-hmm. was becoming. But I was so intrigued. I was like, there's everything you could possibly want to do because there's the cardio aspect and the um the you know the endurance and the metabolic conditioning and then there's also this incredible aspect of you know weight lifting which um fast forward I really got into Olympic weightlifting for a little for a little while too um competitively but that's a that's another tangent. Anyway, so found it super <laughs> early on. And at that point, I was so into my distance running that I was like, no, you know, I'm, I'm running miles upon miles a week. And I have, you know, all these specific goals around what I want to do there. And I just didn't see it as something that I could really take on. But I was so intrigued. So I started to watch all the YouTube videos that they had. And that was at the point when they, I think 2009, one of the early years of the games when they were at the Aromas, you know, the Dave Castro's farm, essentially yeah. for the games, <laughs> and just got really into like following it and just thought it was super cool. Um, and then by 2010, I had graduated from my master's program, moved on, was living in Kansas City, and um, still training for marathons. And was just I was in a new city and I was like how do I find a place to meet people and that kind of thing and I ended up looking up a CrossFit gym and it was one of two at that point in the Kansas City metro area that existed it had just opened it was true box like it was truly (laughs) the gritty style like CrossFit um, kind of hole in the wall gym and I ended up having to drive from where I lived I drove like gosh 40 45 minutes or so to get to this gym and I was like well I'm gonna try it I'm gonna I'm gonna do it I'm gonna do it so anyway gosh this is turning into a long story but <laughs> pretty Keep much going. my very first workout yeah pretty much my very first workout at this time I was training for the uh, Chicago Marathon mm-hmm. in that was October of 2010 and I want to say it was like Gosh, early summer when I first um, started at this CrossFit gym, and you have to do like the on-ramp program and learn what it's all about. And my first workout was some—it um, was something 
you know, it wasn't like a formal CrossFit workout, like a, a girl workout or anything like that. It was something that coach had put together. And I was hooked. It was like deadlift. It was like some short sprint and then maybe air squats, like something pretty, pretty, mm-hmm. you know, simple. But it was awesome. It was, and it was like a certain number of rounds. And I just was like, oh, this leaves me, like I'm training for a marathon right now. And this leaves me completely gassed and like really <laughs> tired and just ready to do it again in that crazy competitive way that I, that I look at things. But yeah, I was pretty much hooked from, from, from right there. And it was, it was, um, it was like, like I said, super early in this CrossFit gym's like life. Like I want to say they had just opened within the year. And so that was cool too, because again, I just moved to this new city. I didn't really know anybody. I just started a new job out of grad school and then um, kind of came into this like organically growing community of people that were so like-minded, like who else goes to CrossFit? <laughs> especially early on when yeah. there's not a, you know you didn't really know much about it other than the crazy stuff you saw on youtube and or like what you were reading on the CrossFit main site website at that point and again like who who goes to that early on i don't know i did yeah <laughs> i got it hooked <laughs> like right away and it was cool actually that early that first year or so i was i was doing crossfit um you know reflecting on it it was was definitely probably the most fit I've ever been because I was still I did the uh, Chicago Marathon that October and then the the following February I did the Mardi Gras Marathon and so I was um, kind of learning CrossFit and getting acclimated to this like different awesome functional style of training learning how to uh, do lifts that you know, I'd never really learned the proper way to, to do a lot of these things. And then of course, just, you know, moving my body in a different way. Right. I was learning to do pull-ups and and snatches and stuff like that while also training endurance. And that was, um, first of all, I didn't have a family or a husband (laughs) or much going on. So I was able to really focus on it and, loved it just loved it so much I mean I could spend so much you know time and energy and effort like creating goals around what I was doing and and seeing really phenomenal results and then that translated too into my best marathon in the the February marathon I did which was uh which was really cool and so that's actually the fourth and last marathon that I did believe it or not because I was a (laughs) at that point I was like no I'm into CrossFit this is it this is what I want to kind of focus on and do so i run a couple a handful of half marathons since then but sure have really kind of given into the functional fitness <laughs> world yeah, yeah <laughs> dive right in the, the crazy world of crossfit mm-hmm. which actually is yeah yeah i i came across crossfit i i was a soccer player and a college soccer player and okay. had run track in college and I never had a problem. I think the reason why I love CrossFit so much is it fits into, it bridges a lot of these gaps in my, in my desire to crush myself all the time. So it, yeah. it just does that on a daily basis. So, and someone else plans it for me. So I don't really have to think much. I just show up and there's something on the board that's going to 
make me think hard about what I'm doing, which is great. But yeah. I, yeah, yeah, I had um, I had done some strength training in college for soccer and track, and then I got out of college and started doing distance running. Then those kept getting longer, and went from marathons to then um, one of my friends because. Uh, Oprah Winfrey had just run, I believe it was the Chicago marathon. And one of my friends had gotten into ultra distance running and he kept trying to get me to do it. And I'm like, no, that's really, that's a level of crazy. I'm not ready for yet. And then he, but he's like, but someday in your life, you're going to have to run further than Oprah's run. And I was, I was just, it stopped me right in my tracks. And I'm like, you, you have a very good point. So we started that doing a good point. Yeah. So we started doing, there's a group of friends of mine and I, we all started doing some longer distance runs and and I had run a couple 50Ks and I had gotten really lazy. The last, so the last race I ran in, um, I had run the course before. It was a 50K. And I got halfway into the race and, and I just didn't, I didn't, it, it, I had the normal struggles you go through in ultra marathons. I had a little bit of hydration issues. It was a hot and humid day. Um, I had a little bit of pain. I knew that would go away if I just stayed out on the course long enough. And I was kind of getting some stomach cramps, which that's kind of normal for me. So I was, I was used to managing these things, but I got halfway in and I just didn't care anymore. And so I turned my bib in. I thought, well, if I leave now, then I can get home to my family and get a good night's sleep. So I got in the car mm -hmm. after I had dinner with one of my friends that was out on the course. It was my same friend who talked me into doing this in the first place. He was out there kind of crewing for me. Um, and he, we went to dinner. We were out in the near Milwaukee in the Kettle Moraine forest area. So we went to dinner mm -hmm. and then I got home and on my way home, I just had this deep sinking feeling of lost and unfulfilledness. And, you know, for those anyone who has like a daily exercise routine, you're, you, you get used to it and you get comfortable with it. And it, you know, you get so much benefit. Like you talked about running the, it isn't just the physical part of it, but it's the, this is your time. When you go run, that's like right. the one time you have all day to process things. So for me, that was where running became such a significant wellness part of my life was that was my time to process life. And mm -hmm. I got really worried that if I hated running, like, what do I do? I, I, you know, I would go to the, like our local gym or YMCA and do my own workouts, but those were just to supplement my running really. So at this stage, I just felt pretty lost. And, and as a wellness person, like that really kind of hurt deep inside. Like, what do I do now? Mm -hmm. Running's been a part of my life for so long. And then uh, there was a CrossFit gym that had opened up right down the block from me. It, I, it's a 800 meter run to the building. So the next I told myself, my wife and I had been talking and she, she was like, you got to go try it out. And I'm like, nah, I don't know. Maybe after I get this race done, I'll think about it. But then having failed the race, I'm like, I need something in my life that's going to kick, kick my butt and kind of mm -hmm. reignite a fire. And I went in and the, the guy that owns it is a former hockey player. He's got long hair and he's missing a tooth and he talks very loud. So I got completely excited about this guy coaching me. I'm like, you're crazy. You are a crazy person. I need you in my life right now. <laughs> this is exactly what I need. I relate to that. <laughs> yeah. So you get in those first couple workouts and you're so exhausted and sore and you're using muscles that you haven't used in so long, but it's like an awakening. 
And mm-hmm. I started going like from, from two to three days a week to going four and five days a week. And then, and I still thought, well, maybe, maybe I'd want to run some races. And then eventually like CrossFit just kind of took over my fitness. And then, and then like you said, you meet some people like in our gym, it's a it's very much a community focused place. And a lot of people that do amazing work in the community. And um, it just is a, it's a really, it, it's fulfilled all the things that I needed it to. And I feel pretty fortunate that I found it without having to look too far, but um, yeah, it's been exciting. The only thing I, I really have to remind myself is that an overhead squat is something that I need to accomplish in my future. My, my overhead squat is about the ugliest thing I, we, that's something that you, if we want to show people how not to do it, then I would tell someone to just watch me try to do an overhead squat. But, um, but it's, yeah, it's that journey. Like you talked about, there's, there's all these important things that go into it that are so significant to where, mm-hmm. where we kind of see our lives. And it's been a, it's really been a blessing and, and for us and, and my wife goes. And so it's, it's just this cool thing. My kids have started going and so I'm excited about that. And I, and being a high school coach, I, I, now I wish I'd had these kinds of places when I was growing up as an athlete Yeah. because it would have right. made training just a different ball game altogether. I would have been able to do a lot more strength training. You know, a lot mm-hmm. of us that play soccer growing up, especially in, in high school and college, we, we think running is our basic activity and we do some strength training, but the players that I've had that have been doing this for a couple of years are just turning into such tremendous athletes. And it's so tough mm-hmm. for them that mentally they're being tested, which is the yeah. most beautiful thing out of all of it. That, that gift of having a mental challenge in front of you and, and overcoming it. It's just wonderful. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's, that's so true on the, for, for young athletes, I think there's, just all of this opportunity to use or, you know, leverage CrossFit or use CrossFit or, or bring some of that functional fitness mindset, even if it's not CrossFit specifically into um, developing not athletes of all ages, really, but especially, especially young people. I think about that all the time. If I, um, you know, if I had more of the um, exposure to almost all of the functional fitness, like style movements. Um, Cause yeah, I was a high school athlete too. And, and it was, you know, let's go run sprints and let's maybe hit the, go to the weight room. Like once, <laughs> I mean, it was, it was not a part of our, it was really not a part of, of, of what we did. I mean, I played volleyball, basketball and I ran track too, but, um, and I would say probably for track, I was in the weight room the most. And I attribute that to my, the specific coach I had during those years she was a little bit more like holistic minded um she was awesome in fact we were in the weight room a couple times a week and then she also did a lot of mindfulness and -hmm. meditation practice with with us which you know at the time I don't think I recognized as being like that's that was really awesome and and just the fact that she was um she was working with us in that way but anyway looking back at that I thought that was that's really cool but for the most part, weight training and, um, and then the more like functional fitness was not really a part of my athletic journey until my mid twenties when I found CrossFit. And, and like I said, I really feel like that helped me move into that realm of, 
Well, one being like building confidence, which that may sound kind of crazy, but um, it really, it really did like build, help me build a lot of like mindset and, and confidence around my own abilities and like what I was capable of. Um, again, I like that kind of person where I really seek the opportunities to challenge myself and almost be more competitive with myself and even with others and like set goals. I just like thrive on setting goals, whether it's like personal or professional or whatever. And so finding a fitness related thing where that's just innate in it, right? Like every time you go, every time you do a CrossFit workout, there is a, there's a, there's a measurement of like, are you, are you improving or not? And even if you're not improving, there's still, if, even if you're not improving by numbers or by strength or by time, um, there's still ways to see improvement, right? Like were you able to kind of grit through some of that? Were you able to, um, whatever, accomplish a new skill? Like I remember the first time I got double unders and I was just so <laughs> happy, <laughs> you know, yeah. like, it's kind of an awkward thing to learn at first. And then it just kind of clicks and you're like, oh, I have this new skill. I can do this cool thing. Or the first time um, is I was, I worked, you know, I learned how to do or like built my strength to be able to do, you know, several consecutive strict pull-ups before I even attempted to learn to kip. And so it was that whole process of like, building the strength and feeling confident that oh my gosh, I'm strong enough to do 10 pulls in a row. And then you practice the kicking movement and all that stuff. It's just so fun. It's <laughs> like, I just, you know, you kind of get, you just, you get really, really into it and that's cool. And that's a, it's a healthy thing to get hooked on. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, I love the immediacy of, you're you see something and you continue to work on it like the the very first time i got mm-hmm. a muscle up was mind blowing mm-hmm. i was like i never thought i could do it i just kept staring at the bar kept swinging all different body in my hips or <laughs> kipping and just trying to get the proper movement and finally i'm just like mm-hmm. i just i just threw myself up and all of a sudden i'm above the bar and it was probably the mm-hmm. most chicken wing muscle up but i still got up above the bar so it, sure. it kind of counts you know, it may not count <laughs> if it was a competition, oh, yeah. it count, but it still was a nice way to get started. But I think that's, that's like, that's one of those things that we probably lose sight of sometimes is doing things that give us an immediate result and something like CrossFit mm-hmm. is, or any kind of fitness routine. I mean, that's, there's a value to that immediacy of, of feeling like you've accomplished something but then also knowing that there's still more that you can do and, and really mm-hmm. yeah. learning a lot about yourself along the way. Um, that's been, that's been fulfilling in its own way. So, mm-hmm. sure. yeah. And, and the whole, and I, you know, you talk a lot about the functional fitness part, you know, was we, mm-hmm. I, as an athlete, we did a lot of plyometric and ultimately what they, it was basic, some functional movement stuff, but, what CrossFit to help me learn a little bit more about was that entire world of functional movement, functional fitness, and then also mm-hmm. diving into things like um, functional movement screens and different pieces that have really complemented our employee wellness programs. So we've created mm-hmm. a couple of programs where we're using the FMS screen to use that as a basic template to help people design their own fitness and wellness program, kind of 
kind of customize in a way so we can help people and meet them where they are. You know, oftentimes we jump right into programs right. and we assume people have some base understanding and for the most part they don't, or they don't like you said, mm -hmm. like you bring up a good point about confidence. It doesn't matter. You mm -hmm. can be the best athlete in the world. You could be the weakest athlete in the world. Confidence is confidence and we all need it. And so using mm -hmm. that screen can help us find different exercises to get someone started and build that, that self-efficacy in just training and being a little bit better of an athlete in a, in a more right. general sense, not athlete as per, as a performance athlete, but thinking of your life as athleticism and what can I do and what, what do we want to help people achieve, whether it's playing more with their grandkids or being able to go for a long walk or go just go start jogging or develop some core strength so that you can do more heavy lifting or whatever it is that someone needs to do to make sure that mm -hmm. they work better and come home without with less pain but also in their own lives like what do you want to achieve and that kind of programming mm -hmm. has just been wonderful um and such a helpful step and and it go, ties into something that that i'd love to chat with you about too and, and talking about life cycles and how well what wellness means as you're moving through your life and how that changes and for us as wellness professionals to not get caught up so much in our academic world of health promotion and wellness and, and dive into risk mitigation and all the parts that we've been trained to think a lot about, but to think about just how do we help people live their life better in all cycles of life. And that's such a critical step. Mm -hmm. And I know that's something that's important to you as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think especially for me over the last, well, it's been three years or so. So I have a two-year-old daughter and she's, she's our first daughter. And that was, that was probably one of the biggest um, life phase transitions that, that I assume a lot of people um, that are also parents themselves or about to be parents themselves kind of, you know, maybe have this similar perspective of it. But where, you know, where it's interesting for me is that I think it really helped, um, you know, in the world of employee wellness, right? We, like you just mentioned, a lot of times we are coming at it from this lens of, well, here's what we, we as practitioners know to be best. And here's how we are trained to, you know, help people or coach people along or help people change their behavior or put together, you know, higher level strategies that are going to impact a large, you know, population of employees. We kind of know that from our training and from our experience in work, but my parenthood and motherhood transition was one of those key, you know, I think just experiences in my life that helped me realize like you know there's there's just all there's so many complexities to any one individual's experience and and life tra life transitions and life phases are inevitable I mean they're going to happen everyone whether it's you're becoming a parent for the first time or you're becoming a parent for the fifth time uh or you're like my brother-in-law and just became parents for the ninth time like so right or it's not Gosh. parenthood at all right there's yeah right <laughs> just had their ninth wow. child um so so maybe it's something like that or maybe it's something where you you know lose a, a, a significant other or you are going through a divorce or you're going you're you're making a cross-country move like all of these things are going to impact individuals so so differently 
And I just feel like that, like my specific motherhood journey that I still consider, I'm pretty new at, really opened my perspective and, and like helped me see in different lenses how it's so important to to consider these things when we're, you know, forming strategies at the, you know, at the high level, if you're an employer, you're an organization, and you're trying to support your people, there, there is no one approach. And it's so important to, to kind of consider these different life stages and, and, and perspectives that people are bringing. Um, it was hard, it, it was hard for me, and I would say it still is, like, as just telling you about how that stage of my life where I was significantly involved in CrossFit. I, I got to the point where I was coaching CrossFit on the side. I just loved it so much. So I was doing that. And I was competing um, not only in CrossFit, but I got into some Olympic weightlifting competing. I am not there right now. I will tell you that <laughs> I'm at a totally different life phase. Where right now it's like, you know, how kind of to your point of, you know, how do I still use this as an outlet that's healthy and, you know, keeps me feeling confident and keeps me fit and and happy. Um, But it's not something I'm able to give like all the intense attention to. And that was hard for me mentally. I kind of felt like I really related to what you were saying when you kind of lost that spark for your, your distance running and you're you're competing in that regard I I really felt that especially during my first pregnancy where I was like you know my body is not the body that I'm used to and I'm sharing it (laughs) with a growing baby and there's all these things that um, you know that were just not in my control the way that they had been in the past and so it was really rough for me mentally and from a mindset perspective and honestly I'd say like I'm still kind of working through that like what is this stage of my life and how do I find you know my outlet of of my drive for challenge and competition when I've got all these other kind of big things going on so yeah it's a long answer to your question I'm not even sure if I totally answered your <laughs> your question but I just think you know to summarize I feel like you know that is a big takeaway for me of better understanding how important it is to really think about everybody's unique lens of what they're experiencing in their life at that point. And then the fact that major life transitions impact us in in so many different ways. And it's important to kind of think of it as it's a stage of life. It's not going to be like this forever. And there's really positive things out of this particular phase. Um, And then there's going to be really positive things in five or six years when, you know, my kids are a little bit older and I can kind of get back into, um, you know, a little bit different type of focus. Um, So, and that helps me too in the perspective of working with employers and building strategy around supporting their people. Um, I just think it's so important that we're thinking about people as like these holistic humans that have all of these things, parts and pieces going on in their lives. You know, it's not just a matter of, well, can you, can't you, can't you get to the gym five days a week? No, not everybody can, you know, and, and so that's just, those are my big kind of takeaways of my own life phase at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, those transitions, it, if we just focused more on helping people transition through their lives in different phases, we would probably see 
the financial benefit of that. We'd see productivity rise. We'd see all the measures that we're trying to measure based on health risk management. We'd probably see them mm-hmm. improve better if we just focused on helping people through those transitions. I, I was asked by a company to do a men's health presentation. We do the health and wellness screenings for them. So I have all the information. We know how many men score at risk for blood pressure, hypertension, you know, cholesterol and weight, body fat and body composition measurements. Those, the company wanted me to touch on those and go through what should men know about their numbers and what should they know about mm-hmm. when to have certain preventive screenings. So they wanted a real nuts and bolts presentation. So at the time I was, I was fairly new to the company and just said, okay, well, I can do that. That sounds great. And deep down, I'm, I knew, I, I already knew that I needed to be doing more, but I did what they asked me to do. And then at the end of the conversation, at the end of the presentation, I had a man come up to me and just say, thank you. You know, that was a good presentation, but what do I do when I just feel lost? And I mm. kind of took me a step back and, you know, immediately, you know, you put aside all of that technical information that we're supposed to mm. cover and we think helps. And then we get into what really matters. And I had a, a wonderful conversation with him about life. And he'd been working at this company for about 10 years. He's, he had gotten, he's in a phase of life where his athleticism isn't what it used to be. And that bothered him. He also um, had gone through a divorce and that was a challenge. So he was trying to be a parent and a co-parent and that wasn't really helping. He had a, his relationship with his current girlfriend was good, but you know, he, he was a little bit, there was an age difference there that, you know, she was running more than him and, you know, and he, he's, mm. he admitted, he's like, I'm a competitor and, you know, she can just crush me. And, you know, I'd, tried to talk to him about getting over, you know, male ego issues, <laughs> but I mean, mm-hmm. to just okay. be more patient with things and maybe, you know, there's other things that you can do that can get involved with other exercise mm-hmm. programs and just get into this real conversation. And so then, and so when the company came back to me in the next year and asked to do the men's health talk again, I said, well, I asked him like, what do you want me to really achieve with this? Because mm-hmm. last time I'm just given numbers and data and Honestly, people can read about that. And this has never worked for public health professionals. Like, you know, scaring people into making health change isn't good. How about if I go about Mm -hmm. finding purpose and talking about um, purposeful living and then, and not necessarily in men specifically, but in all of our life journey. And by all means, I mean, women can attend this session as well. And we ended up having a wonderful session and um, I felt like I benefit the the benefit to the group was greater when you start having them talk about their purpose mm-hmm. and having them think about um, the their life differently. And I had them do a couple activities where they're doing some self portraits. They draw themselves as an, as an object. So what do you, when you think about yourself, what are like, think about an object that, that is you, your signature object and talk about strengths and mm-hmm. all the different roles that all of us are playing in our lives. And what does it take to be, successful in those roles. And I feel like in no doubt that that's a better path to take people on rather than mm-hmm. sit there and talk to them about their increased risk for hypertension. Um, right. Most people don't want to talk about that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like it just continuing to your point is, is there's, there's so much more to it, right? If it's, it, it may be that we're seeing kind of 
the high blood pressure is more of a symptom of all of these other mm-hmm. kind of life stressors or, um, you know, challenges that, that are, that they're facing at that point. Right. And so to go right to the, the symptom or the, 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 thing that you know is the easiest to measure is not necessarily getting to the root cause and I feel like that is you know that I think that's a huge opportunity for us in this space that people like you and I and other wellness practitioners or thought leaders to really be like constantly challenging like what what are some of those root cause things and then I love that you kind of translated that particular event like that particular program that you were providing to this like higher level concept of purpose and fulfillment I mean that's who who doesn't want to be fulfilled in their life like who doesn't want to connect with a a greater purpose for for what we're doing I mean granted I'm generalizing and there may be some people that 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 aren't into that or just haven't come around to realizing that that that's important but those those kind of those kind of concepts and those kinds of just methods of supporting people and and um, it, it's so important and I just feel like that's oftentimes you know overlooked or not even considered as a part of what it means to be well and a part of what it means to help people um, in their own wellness. So I love that you're able to kind of translate that. Well, in your in your role, in your position there with the Wellness Council of Wisconsin, I mean, you're out on the forefront of what is happening in terms of developing wellness programs and really ushering in what's coming next for employee well-being and changing that landscape and supporting people. And I know you talk about the push to support people creatively, holistically, and look at the systems and our environments and our culture. Um, all of it, I think, is is amazing. I, creativity is something I feel like is so it's so grossly overlooked in our in our work and in our field that we we often don't mm-hmm. equate our well being with our ability to be creative. And yet, any kind of research on creativity shows that it has a positive impact on health and well being. And mm-hmm. where companies are allowing employees to be in a way more creative and not just artistically, but in creative problem solving and working through process and um, allowing people time to think about the process and really um, be given that opportunity to be more creative. Those are, those organizations succeed or in, in research continues to show that that creativity is so important to our, our well-being. So in, what you see now in the field is we're trying to um, grow wellness programs across, you know, your footprint, but also with your connected um, by being connected to the wellness councils of America as well. So you get to see Mm -hmm. what we're talking about now. What do you feel like, what do we need to be paying attention to in the future here with our, with wellness programming? What a great question. So I think there's, oh goodness, I could probably answer this in a lot of different <laughs> ways and talk about it for a long time. But I think one of the biggest things that I see as a really important concept moving forward and something that I also recognize as 
as being quite challenging um, <laughs> to to actually implement is this concept of of really looking at the organization as a as this super complex system. So let me pause for a second and just give a quick background. So I come from my my background. I I got a master's in health promotion, and my cohort of classes and classmates was uh, very connected to the master's of public health um, to that program. And so a lot of my you know training and uh, learning derives from a lot of public health and community health related concepts. And I love that because I am constantly, you know, kind of thinking and challenging the, the similarities and the parallels between larger communities um, where, you know, there's, there's opportunity to improve health at that population level. And then how you can look at an organization, any given organization, as you know, its own community, right? There's this whole complex system of policies and systems, and you know, various um, you know organizational structures of different leadership, and then there's the mid-level leadership, and then there, you know, all of these different again complex um, systems. And where I see uh, a lot of great opportunities for individuals like us, or or employers in general when they're thinking about creating true impact on their people is this shift in focus to really think about how the organization, the setting, the environment, the culture, the systems, the policies that are in place, how those things impact people's health because they do. They do just without us even looking at it. It's either going to be detracting from people's wellness or well-being and or promoting of it and, or neutral. There will be some things that are, that are neutral or, or benign, but if we aren't thinking bigger about how we can create change at the organizational level, I think we're going to continue to miss out on having true widespread impact on, on our people. So I think it really has to become this systematic um, multi-layered approach <laughs> to create strategy that's impacting uh, people. And then second to that, alluding, you know, relating back to the conversation that we were just having about supporting people, you know, really holistically and really thinking about all of these multiple factors that impact someone's wellness or help someone, again, be able to, to focus differently on their own wellness. I think that's the other direction that we're really going to have to go. So we're really going to have to focus on this support of the whole person. And that's not always going to be in the form of a, of a specific program. Sometimes it's going to be this long-term process of policy change, or it's going to be a layered approach of policy change. And then, you know, leadership and soft skill training, and then, um, you know, opportunity for individuals, like individual employees to connect to their purpose, right? To have some, some different type of coaching or, you know, opportunities where they're, they're supported in those ways. And that's, that's not a program, right? That's a, that's a strategic overhaul mm -hmm. <laughs> on oh, yeah. the way people think about this. And so, I mean, even, even talking about it, it's still, it's exciting because I think that that's, again, that's the way that we're going to have to go. So it's almost like, as opposed to 
programming, you're thinking about, you know, changing the landscape of the way that, that people work or the way that people experience their workplace or the way that, um, you know, people are, are treated. All of these, again, layered and complex components. But we have to start thinking about that. And I'm not, that's not to say that some employers aren't, but I think, I think there definitely are organizations that are already, you know, really taking that type of approach. Um, we've got some examples here in Wisconsin of, of organizations that are, that are really thinking holistically about this or really thinking like long-term strategy too about how to change things or improve things um, from those perspectives. But across the board in our industry, I really, I really see those as being two of the imperatives for us to be able to move forward as a, as an industry. Yeah, yeah, and I love that you you talk about systems and bringing that public health into when we start talking mm-hmm. about employee well being. I mean, I I come at wellness. I my undergraduate was in sociology, so systems theory is just part of how I see the world and. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. and I don't think we I I think we've we're starting I feel like we're starting to have these conversations and you're being a lead you you being a leader of this movement and I feel like there's others across the board um, Ryan Picarella at, at the Wellness mm-hmm. Councils of America is, is one of those as well I mean part of our problem has been that we've siloed wellness into programs or we put we tie them into benefit plan packages and of offered them in specific ways that either um, are only for certain people or are to be done by certain people to receive some sort of incentive advantage or however the organization is built. And, And oftentimes, you know, that ties into sometimes how we view wellness. When we look at some of the traditional wellness models, we see these six dimensions laid out and we've siloed our conceptual view of wellness. And I think Ryan did a great job of moving us out of those, out of those mm-hmm. beautiful pie-charted wellness models into thinking about resiliency and growth and connectedness, mm-hmm. and thinking more about value-centered work and and our well-being. And you know, I think that's that that automatically takes us into organizational sense making, which I'm a mm-hmm. fan of the Carl Weick School of <laughs> of organizational. Um, evolution, evolutionary models of how we, how can we create an environment where an employee feels valued and cared for? Because we guarantee if they do that, if that happens, then they're going to be better workers and they're probably going to be mm-hmm. healthier because their work habits are going to be better. And if we build some internal structures to help support them in those endeavors, then we're probably going to end up with a pretty healthy workforce population. And since that's where adults spend most of their time, it would be to our benefit to try to create that environment. And, and, and I keep coming back to basically about four or five C's of what wellness, kind of a transition out of the old wellness models and, and looking at things a little bit like Walcoa has, but we, have, we, we all have the need and ability to connect and desire to connect. And we mm-hmm. all can contribute and be a part of something bigger and we can all be creative and, and create um, and learn skills to help us be more creative. And then of course we all care. And if our environments care about us and we, we take care of ourselves and, and, and we're involved in that, in that whole process, then, then our well-being will improve. And I also 
never forget that we need to continue to be cheesy and laugh at ourselves and have humor as part of our natural well-being. But, you know, that's, Mm -hmm. I think I, I keep, I'm really, I feel fortunate that we're hearing these conversations from a lot of the professionals, whether it's, um, you know, um, Vic Strecker, or um, I think mm-hmm. you know you have some people presenting here at your conference here next month. And um, I just spoke with Rachel Drunkenmiller, who's a real leader in connectedness mm-hmm. and getting into having really good conversations about what do we want our life to look like on, on a day-to-day basis and how do we want to improve it? And if our organizations can be built and our systems can be built to empower us, we're all going to be better mm-hmm. off somehow. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you, you put in some really good words, a, a, a great kind of descriptor of what we're trying to focus on at our annual conference this year is exactly that concept of, of um, you know, designing a place. Marriage conference team is called designing a place, designing places where people flourish. So really, you know, and even taking work out of it, right? I mean, of course, that's that's our role here at Wellness Council Wisconsin is to support employers in creating strategies that support their employees while they're working. So that's that's an undeniable. But if we can really start to think of it, and I love I love some of the terms you use in these ways where we're we're just creating the space and the place and the opportunities where people are really going to be able to um, grow and thrive and perform better and be creative and and tap into and contribute to their you know the the larger community all of these things that we know from a research perspective and experientially that that they make you feel better right I mean and and so if we can really come at it from that from that perspective um, you know how much again how much more impact can we have and so again yeah our conference is really focusing on this theme of designing places where people flourish we are looking at um or or helping our attendees explore a lot of different topics so we've got um, we've got a prisoner that's going to speak about fulfillment and purpose and and what that means in relation to someone feeling um or excuse me, being well, right? And then we have someone that's going to really talk about, um, you know, kind of creating a, from a leadership perspective, creating, you know, a place where people feel valued and cared for. Kristen Hadid is going to speak as our opening keynote about that and her experiences in building a company and creating a culture where, again, her people feel like they are valued and, and cared for no matter what their role is. Right, um, and then some of our breakouts are going to be interesting. I don't mean to go in too too down the rabbit hole in our conference specifically, but I am really pumped about the variety of the breakout sessions because you know one is going to one we've got a um, diversity inclusion leader that's going to speak about um, inclusion and unconscious bias and what that means in relation to wellness. I mean, what it means in general, right? Because it 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 exists. As, or inclusion um, is is something that societally and culturally, you know, we we could all stand to to maybe do better at. <laughs> and then um, just the fact that unconscious bias is 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 it is it is a thing. And so, what does that mean for us as wellness practitioners? For really, again, creating spaces where people feel like 
this is meaningful to them and that they feel heard and they feel valued regardless of you know what lens or perspective they're bringing to the table so i'm excited about that and then we're going to have someone talk about explore the topic of organizational resilience and what that you know what that concept means um again from a system you know a systems perspective as an organization there's going to be change and there's going to be um challenge that comes with that change and so how as wellness practitioners can we help to build resiliency at the organizational level that then will um will impact individual people too in terms of resilience so just some different some creative ways of looking at you know what we could be thinking about a little bit differently in terms of of building strategy for wellness yeah and a lot of these and i've been I wanted to definitely have us spend some time talking about mental health and breaking the stigma, but a lot of these yeah. tie right into a any kind of discussion that we want to have with regards to mental health and well-being. And, you know, for a lot of it, it's creating safe spaces and, and a place to belong. And if we fail mm-hmm. there, then mental health, it exacerbates uh, the mental health issues that we see in the work site. Um, and we're not being smart about um, helping people feel cared for and, and supported. And when we don't do that, then we end up creating these issues. And um, we can talk for days about all the different ways that this can manifest mm-hmm. itself into a, a workforce culture, work site, and, and how individuals struggle through um, mental health and mental health related issues. But um, I know that you've done a lot of work and have a lot of um, interest in this area and helping break the stigma and supporting people and in, in creating safer and healthier work sites and organizations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of the things that I really, one of the phrases that I like to use or kind of helps, my, helps me frame, um, frame what I mean when I, when I even talk about mental health, um, there's one I draw on my own personal experience and I, I feel a responsibility almost to kind of talk about um, my my own experience with mental health and um, because one that goes into the whole conversation around breaking stigma right can can we can we start to talk about this like it's like it's normal because it is mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> um, but the phrase I like to use is um, hum- the human experience I think you know we would be it, it would you would be hard to find someone who wouldn't understand that some sort of physical illness, like an illness of your body, is a is kind of a standard, normal part of the human human experience. Mm-hmm. Everybody is at some point going to have a cold, have the common cold, or or get the flu, um, or and or you know maybe some other you know more significant illness. We have loved ones that have physical illnesses. We have we know people that are that have had heart attacks, it's on and on, right? Like that's a very common understanding of, of, of people, right? It's part of the human experience that you might get sick. Um, what, what I find really important is to talk about how mental health and you know, various experiences with mental health is also part of the human experience. You know, it's going to be something that um, could likely, you know, touch you in your own life. 
um, a loved one, a coworker, a friend, a neighbor, a stranger on the street. Um, it's part of the human experience. But where there's this great opportunity, or I see this great opportunity, is to bridge that conceptually and bridge that for people where it's like, how can we start to make this just a part of the the understanding that it is it's a part of the human experience and we we all deserve to be able to again like you say feel like we belong enough to be able to talk about it and seek the support and the care that we would need again if you have the flu it's you're going to be hard pressed to find someone that wouldn't want to seek care to help them improve their flu symptoms right um, we're not there yet with mental health. And I think that's where I'm really passionate about really opening the conversation more and being transparent and, and bring, being candid and, and, again, talking about my own experience and experiences that have touched my loved ones and, um, and, and, and what that means. It means that here I am on the other side of a, I'll just be super candid in this moment, um, I lived with a, a pretty severe eating disorder for 12 years of my life. I used the, the 12 years because that was uh, the time period where there was ongoing, you know, care and support and therapy and uh, working through a lot of things for myself. Um, it's still something I would certainly consider that I live with and, and then ongoing kind of recovery of. But that's, that's something I feel like we, sh- we should be talking about. <laughs> I should be able to share that as a part of my own human experience. It's I mean, to be honest, it was it was extremely difficult on myself and in a lot of transformative years of adolescence and, and early adulthood. And then, of course, had great impact on on uh, several of my loved ones and, and, and things like that. But it's also shaped me in countless ways um, to the positive. Right. And I've been able to become more resilient, stronger. Um, a lot of my care through that, my support and therapy has is are still things that I to this day you know utilize in my in my life and make myself a stronger more capable person um so there's a lot of positive right and I know that not everyone's story is is positive but maybe if we can start again opening these conversations and really helping people feel like this is this is a normal part of the human experience um you know there there could be more positives out of it right right so Translating that into the into the workplace is is hard. It's it's really difficult because there's so many layers of um, you know concern or challenge around that, right? Where there's just there's privacy concern. There's there is just the elephant in the room of stigma and people not really understanding um, you know what it what it what it could mean or what it you know what the experiences are like you know so again opening the conversation I think is is really the first step and there's some there's starting to become some really excellent resources out there from the the workplace perspective Um, mental health America is a is a great resource we have a affiliate here in Wisconsin that is um doing some great work here locally, but then also, of course, Mental Health America has just, they just released an assessment that employers can use to um, assess kind of like what we just talked about, like systematically across the organization, how, what is, what is currently in support, how, you know, how are you creating an environment where this, where people can access care, where people can talk about things, people can feel supported by their, 
managers and leaders, um, a lot of different layers to what the assessment is. But I think that's a great step for a lot of workplaces to start with is just to kind of open that, like, what, what are we doing right now? Are we doing anything? Do we have any support? Are we, are we talking about this at all? Um, so that's a great resource. And then there's, there's several um, non-US <laughs> resources and toolkits uh, from other countries that have really given a lot of uh, thought and have had some good experiences and successes at the, in the employer space of different organizations that are creating environments and cultures where mental health is truly supported. And so there's a lot of great resources linked in that way. And I'm hopeful that we can start to really bring that here to, mm -hmm. to, to Wisconsin, um, but just in general to our strategies um, for USA employers to really start to learn from, you know, what's out there and what's been done and what's been successful in creating these types of supportive cultures and environment that, again, open the conversation around mental health. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, you touch on a couple of things and thank you for sharing your own journey and your own story. Sure. And those, you know, we need to talk more openly about the normal condition, like you said, of the human experience and that there are going to be mm -hmm. ups and downs and pitfalls and there are going to be good times and there are going to be bad times. There's going to be things that challenge us and, and that test our adversity and our resiliency. And, and we have to equip people with the necessary tools, information, skills, and places where they can seek help. Um, some things are within their control if they feel like they are confident in what they've learned or what they can utilize. And then there are other things that are out of their control and they need help and they need to get the resources. And the whole stigma piece is so critical. I mean, we here with, I'm a high school soccer coach and we started a kicking the stigma campaign here locally. I'm um, being a wellness professional and being a coach means I can't separate one world mm -hmm. from the other. And I recognize mm -hmm. that my best chance to play the game and compete, I need my players to feel happy, healthy, and secure. And mm -hmm. uh, they, um, there's a lot of them that don't have healthy environments. It's just a truth mm -hmm. of working in any environment with any group of people in, in our world is to have an appreciation and understanding that the, everyone's going through something. Um, and mm -hmm for us to be able to try to raise awareness of that. And, and one of the goals that I have is to connect the dots in our community to make sure everyone's aware of all the resources that are available, but that we just continue mm -hmm. to talk about mental health. And, and I've been really right. fortunate that uh, we did this and we've been doing this combined effort with the Wisconsin Rapids community. Um, so you have Stevens Point Wisconsin Rapids soccer teams that are working together to try to raise some money to, for our local um, NAMI chapters, but also mm -hmm. then just have conversations about it. And, and it's helped in the school setting. We had a, there was an incident with um, one of our, one of our players who was graduating from our program, but there was a, an issue at school between um, that, um, that caused a lot of, a lot of anxiety and a lot of um, anger and frustration among um, some some of the students, and because of the work that we had done, the school um, offered a chance for us to bring in some of the professionals we had been working with. We we implemented yeah. this other program called Coaching Boys into Men, which is a tremendous free program that the Futures Without Violence Group in San Francisco had built a few years ago 
four coaches to use with high school male athletes to talk about respect, integrity, and nonviolence. A lot of it is mm-hmm. mental health related. A lot of it involves your, um, your connectedness and your interpersonal skills and understanding um, gender issues, understanding um, control, jealousy, and, and mm-hmm. consent, and a lot of important things that we need to talk about with young people. Um, but the school, because of the program we had done, decided instead of just punishing kids that we would have an open conversation and bring people together that were involved in this incident and have open discussions about how it impacted them. And let's talk yeah. about how it feels when someone does something wrong. When, when you feel right. wronged and how can that mentally um, damage you? And it was really good for the, the boys involved in this to hear on how they had um, really impacted the lives of some of the girls at the school. And that's a step forward. I feel like, okay, mm-hmm. we've made one step forward, but can we expand this, this whole conversation about you know, integrity and nonviolence and mental health in a broader way so that we can continue to help um, young people like in, in, my, in my setting here in the schools, but also like you talked about with organizations. Like how can we move mm-hmm. the discussion around mental health away from solely talking about EAP usage? But let's talk, right. about, yeah. let's talk about how the organizational fabric helps, supports, and grows people so that they feel like they're in a safe place. And that's ultimately what we mm-hmm. want to try and achieve. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It makes me think of a, a personal goal that I set for myself this year. I like to talk to you in the goal setter. I really thought about it. I did a training at the end of 2018, fall of 2018. That was, um, it was like a leadership training focus, I, I guess you could call it. And what was really interesting, I promise I'll get to my point here, but what was really interesting from that training is that I was in this room with, um, it, it just happened to be all women. So it was like 35 women that were selected for this training. Not, didn't have to be just women. Um, but it was 35 women and we were, it was extremely diverse. So a lot of different um, backgrounds and perspectives, uh, different careers, different uh, demographics, all of that. And what I came away with as most valuable from that training, forget the curriculum, because the curriculum was good, but I'm not even talking about that as my most valuable learning. What was most valuable and meaningful to me was the fact that I was in this space and learning and growing and connecting with people that, yes, they were all women, but they were drastically different. Um, from my from my own perspective, they had very very unique perspectives. Um, again, from their upbringing or from their um, you know the the job that they were doing or their their race or their you know all these different variances, right? And so what I took away from that was this goal that I set for myself this year that I think really relates to what you're talking about is you know, I'm trying to put myself in situations. And I think that we could all find a lot of value from this is putting yourself in situations where you are connecting, truly connecting, like meeting and connecting and talking to people that, you know, don't look or sound or have life experiences that are exactly similar to yours, right? I will say, I don't think I'm doing the best job on accomplishing my goal. I'm trying to, but I think that's one of those things, right? Where we, when we think about um, creating a safe space for people to belong, it starts with 
it has to start with that early step of opening conversation and really learning and connecting, practicing empathy, like having these these kind of you know vulnerable deep connections with people and and I you know I don't I think there may be some organizations some employers that that do that or or try to do that but it's I don't think it's mainstream I don't think it's something that we're talking about in in um like as a as a key strategy around mm-hmm. wellness right but that's I think that's a big first step and it sounds a lot like you know the the program you just mentioned and how valuable that was to bring people together and have these like deep, meaningful conversations to really understand different perspectives. Um, so I just, I see that as, as just such a, you know, some seems like a simple step, but it's not happening. You know, we're not doing it. We're not creating the space for that to really happen or, or, or be the, the environment of our workplaces. And again, to your point, I feel like that's, that's really a missing link when how are we gonna how are we gonna move forward in in supporting people in in these more difficult things like mental health challenges or whatever it might be if we're not starting from that place of like really opening ourselves to connecting and learning about each other. So anyway. <laughs> gives me all the all the I just, I get really, I'm excited about that as an opportunity, but I feel like it's a really big, you know, it's simple again, like I said, simple, but also a big challenge. Like, how do you, how do we make that happen um, in organizational settings? So yeah, I'm I ready think, to take the challenge on though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, and that was, uh, that was reflected in a quote. I think this was, uh, I think you have this on your LinkedIn profile, but it's, Life mm-hmm. is about the people you meet and the things you create with them. So you go out mm-hmm. and start creating. And, and I, think, I think it's safe to say, like anytime we talk with people who are interested in really enhancing and growing the next phase of wellness in organizations, I really, I love that we're talking about connectedness first. Like we've mm-hmm. gotten, I, I think, and I hope that we've gotten over our need to try to quantify everything in health risk um, mitigation of, or health risk awareness and think that that's our wellness program. And mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of companies, that's what they do and they check their box off as their wellness program. But I'm excited about those organizations that want to have a deeper conversation about the work culture and will mm-hmm. help us, you know, even when we design what starts out as a traditional wellness program, but then and when they let us look at some of their cultural audit results about how employees feel about their organization, mm-hmm. that is a telling factor. And you can't, you know, I know we're going to have to talk about at some point, someone's going to bring up ROI and I'm, you know, and we'll have to have this mm-hmm. discussion with them about this is beyond your ROI. And we can talk about some measurable things like how many employees have you lost or gained in the past year? How much money do you spend on training? How many people miss work? Because mm-hmm they honestly just don't feel like coming. Do you have people that take wellness days, but they call in and they claim that they're sick? I mean, you know, there's mm-hmm. different things we can start looking at that give us a better indicator of the health of your organization than how many people are at risk for blood pressure, at, for hypertension, right. you know? Those are important pieces mm-hmm. and healthcare costs are something that we pay attention to and we build. And in my work with Ascension, I mean, we're building on-site clinics and health, putting providers on-site mm-hmm. to help mitigate those costs. 
but that's a little different than talking about your global wellness message. And it's a lot different when you mm-hmm. start talking about your organization as a healthy place. And I, I think those are things that mm-hmm. we all keep pointing to that the key part in all of this is getting people together to help them grow and understand and cooperate and work together better. Cause then we find most people they're, they're on the, they're on the same page with others and they can feel mm-hmm. better. They feel more strongly connected to their organization and each other when you give them the chance to be that way. So, um, mm-hmm. those are all wonderful things for us to be discussing. And I'm, you know, I'm glad, you know, especially with your conference about building a place to belong and designing places where people can flourish. Those are really mm-hmm. meaningful concepts that we need to continue to drive um, for our next generation of wellness programming at the work site. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So I have, I want to move off some of our more deeper <laughs> <laughs> topics here. Yeah. So to close out here, what is your go-to music when you're in, when you're in your CrossFit box, what is your jam that comes on and it makes you certain you're going to have a good day? Oh, wow. My goodness. I'm the wrong person to ask about music because <laughs> I'm kind of the, not, not even kidding. Like I used to do like all my long runs and stuff without music. You know, I just, I like to just be in the zone. So not that music doesn't help me do that, but I'm trying to think of like, what even, <laughs> What even gets me? I don't know. I can be, it can be anything. What I used to do when I was coaching, I would put, um, I used to coach CrossFit, like I said, and I would put pretty much just like the most, um, like, kind of like techno. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that yeah. sounds crazy. But I would throw that on to coach for my classes because that helps like pep me up from a coach perspective and keep me like super high energy. I'll probably go with that answer, but really I think I'm, I'm one of the weirdos that like, like, yes, I like music, but I can get in the zone pretty much no matter what. (laughs) And probably even more so if I'm just like, no music. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I was, as long as you, as long as you didn't say Nickelback, then that's good. (laughs) Yeah. No, thank you. No, thanks. That is that. That is my workout killer. There's nothing that brings me uh, off of a high than hearing anything by Nickelback or anything that sounds like it's from the family of totally. Band, sound like Nickelback. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Definitely. Oh, all right. Well, Marissa, any last words you want to provide us, or I really look forward to um, where Walcoa in here in Wisconsin, your wellness councils of Wisconsin, where you challenge us yeah. to grow our wellness programs and your reach and continuing to support um, all the things that you're doing across the state in the, in the larger connection with the wellness councils of America too. I just, I think we've touched on it a couple of times. I'm, I've been impressed with Ryan's leadership and your leadership mm-hmm. here in Wisconsin and am fortunate that you're, you're, we're having these kinds of conversations about growing our work sites and our, and our pathways to wellness. Thank you. Yeah, I'm. I really enjoyed this this conversation. It's exciting to talk with someone so like minded in all different facets, um, from CrossFit to our philosophy on employee wellness. So this is great. And 
Yeah, I think more than anything, I'm just, I'm excited to keep opening the conversation around the human experience and, you know, bringing new ideas, creative ideas to the employers here in Wisconsin to keep supporting, supporting our people. Perfect. I love it. Well, good luck with your conference here in a few weeks and we'll, uh, we'll have you back on sometime in the near future and, and continue these conversations. Sounds good. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you.